Now introducing the Minor Wisdom Trio! Minor Wisdom! Not gonna waste a lot of time today on an intro because this special podcast, this special episode, even though it's being recorded or being released the normal time, this special episode was recorded about a month ago, and this time it was video recorded at the Techland Houston Studios, thanks to Eric uh, Campbell at Techland. This was kind of his catalyst. He was the one that presented the idea of doing some of these roundtables, not necessarily this idea, this topic, uh, but just using the studio that he created at Techland Studios, he and his team, shall I say. I want to give credit where credit is due. Uh, but um, he kind of approached me with the idea a while ago, months ago, months and months ago, about doing some of these roundtables. And I, of course, thought this was a great idea. It It's just logistically, it's difficult to get a number of people together to discuss a topic and... So it took some time to get this first one. We're working on the second one. Those people, if they're listening, know who they are. Uh, but uh, super excited just to kind of do these every once in a while. It's fun. Uh, you know, I've said it multiple times that I do this podcast very selfishly to get to know people and to get information from people for myself. And if there are people that want to listen to it, then... That's great. That's a bonus, even if it's one person. And some of these podcasts, some of these episodes, <laughs> let me tell you, it is one person. Anyway, I'm kidding. There are tens of people that are loyal. So I appreciate you guys. But this is a longer episode that you can go on the Techland Houston YouTube and watch it live. Not watch it live. Watch it. Record, watch a video of it, not live. Uh, that would be weird. Uh, but watch a video of it. And it's super cool. It was nice to be able to do that. So I want to thank again Eric Campbell, uh, Paul Copenhaver, who was in person, Eric Friend, Christy Ross Clausen, who has been on the pod before, and Daniel Ayers. Uh, you might know some of those people again because of, excuse me, that was my burrito, uh, because of the Technical Theater Educators Facebook page. Say what you will about the page. I have said some things about the page. But uh, it is a helpful page, and thank you to those people that run it. Uh, might be quite the controversial topic that was posted by somebody that was also on the podcast many, many years ago, feels like, Donnie Covington. Uh, it's a great page, but there's a lot of banter, a lot of banter, and it uh, it makes a lot of people angry. It, it fires people up. You wouldn't believe that a technical theater educator's page on Facebook gets people's blood boiling, but it does. Uh, again, I want to thank all those people for joining me and just uh, kind of just chit-chatting about all kinds of stuff, safety-wise, theater safety-wise. Uh, we do talk a lot about contractors and maybe their role in the world of renovations and theater safety and all that kind of stuff. And some of the talk is a little, you know, if you're a contractor out there, which I don't know why you'd be listening to this, but, uh, you know, thanks for listening we don't say a lot of kind things about contractors and their timeline and their commitment to a job necessarily, especially a job that they don't really understand, which is most theaters. So, um, sorry, <laughs> but again, this, it's weird if you're a contractor listening to this. So enjoy the podcast. Please follow me on the Twitter or the Facebook, reach out to me, 
and have a great weekend or a great week, I guess, everybody. Oh, before I let everybody go, this pod is is being released on September 11th. And so I just want to take a moment to uh, recognize that and just, um, again, you know, people struggle with it on an annual basis on their memory of it, even though it has been 21 years, uh, people think about it, you know, those of you that were close to it or in New York or in Philadelphia or in Washington or part or not Philadelphia, but Pennsylvania, uh, that were close to it. Um, you know, you probably think about a lot more than just the one day a year. So just want to say, you know, my heart goes out to those people that were affected directly by it and those people that uh, have a tough time just on this day seeing the images that remind us of just that literally the worst tragedy uh, ever in the United States. So don't want to end on a sad note, but I do want to just say that I am thinking about you guys and uh, God bless America. Um, enjoy this week's kind of longer podcast, very educational, very professional development. Have a great week, everybody. Enjoy. Well, I want to welcome everybody to the Techland Studios. Uh, I am joined by a big uh, a group of people that have lots of big ideas and big thoughts in the world of theater and theater education. Uh, very uh, intelligent folks that have, you could literally say, have seen it all between all six of us. So, uh, and maybe just one person has seen it all, but we'll give value to everyone else. But uh, I want to go around uh, the table first here and introduce uh, the the two that are sitting with me and get a little bit of an introduction from each individual on why should we be listening to these people sitting around or, or on Zoom. So first, I want to start with Mr. Paul Copenhaver. Hi, uh, I'm Paul Copenhaver. Uh, I'm a theater consultant with WJHW. Uh, I have been working in the theater industry since I was a freshman in college. Um, I have worked as a theatrical installer. Uh, I've worked as a tech theater teacher in uh, the high school setting. Uh, I've worked as a sales rep for a theatrical manufacturer and installer. Uh, and now I'm a theater consultant. Uh, and then the the generous Eric Campbell, who's allowing us to be in this Techland studio. Eric, if you want to introduce yourself. Yep, my name is Eric Campbell. I'm the general manager of Techland Houston and Costume Works. Techland Houston is the company that would come out and install um, your audiovisual systems, your lighting, your video, your rigging, um, your curtains and whatnot. We're also the same company that does the service calls. We go into uh, those spaces and we train. Uh, we teach those directors and the students how to use that equipment. And we also do the professional development uh, throughout the course of the year. So we're sort of the guys that are on that ground level in your schools doing the doing the hands-on and making sure that along the way after the install and the design has been done, that all of that sort of pays off. Great. Uh, and then just because it's how it is on the screen, uh, Eric Friend. Hi, uh, Eric Friend with uh, Technical Systems. We're a theater consulting company. And my background is I started out doing live shows, uh, touring. I uh, got some good experience with multiple venues that way. And then uh, went on to uh, work at a theater consulting company uh, in Texas, learned a lot about the trade, uh, spent some time working with a uh, installation company doing uh, lighting and sound installation as an engineer there, and uh, worked with a company that 
did lighting for uh, film and television. So you learn a whole different aspect of how lighting works uh, from the different from the theatrical and uh, went back into the consulting business. And I've generally been in the industry for about 45 years. Wow. Uh, Christy. Hi, everybody. I'm Christy Ross Claussen. TheaterHealthAndSafety.com is the website, which has a little bit more information about me. But in a nutshell, I'm an IATSE stagehand and Actors Equity stage manager. I've been a K-12 teacher. I'm now teaching at two different universities at the same time, which I think is probably the silliest thing I've ever done. But it's great because there's a big need for knowledge about technical theater and health and safety, and particularly in the school systems. So that's the area that I focus on. I go and do inspections, I do consulting, I help design systems, I work, my day job is for an AV company and I help them with quality management. Um, I write the CTS questions. We'll talk a little bit more about CTS later. I'm part of that committee. So uh, a little bit of everything when it comes to the technical side of stuff. Basically, if it's happened backstage, I've done it at some point in time. Uh, and then Dan. I could probably just repeat Christy and be pretty darn close. Um, I started with uh, IATSE Local 31 when I was a junior in high school. That was May of 2000, so you can do the math there. I have a bachelor's in technical theater and design, and I have a master's in occupational safety management, uh, which is a bit unusual uh, in this industry. I have the CTS and uh, certification for audio video, the ETCP entertainment electrician and theater rigging certifications, and the graduate safety professional designation, and probably a few others I can't even think of, CPR instructing. I've been a ski patroller for 15 years. Um, <laughs> OSHA 10, OSHA 30. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, I think um, all of us have that. And then I've also been a ski patroller. Uh, so I got with the uh, technical standard group at ESTA and even helped uh, write some of the medical emergency uh, response uh, standards that have just recently been adopted as well. Great. Wow. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, you guys, I, I teach theater. Anyway, <laughs> welcome. Uh, so I want to start with, and this is a heavy topic, and, uh, you know, there are a variety of teachers out there that um, will jokingly talk about OSHA in their classroom, and it's almost, uh, it almost becomes kind of a tongue-in-cheek joke with some students when they put the ladder on top of the table so that they can reach whatever it is they're trying to reach and they say, hey, make sure we're not taking pictures. We don't want OSHA to find out, you know, those types of things. Uh, and I'm sure we have all stood on a rolling chair at some point in our life uh, just to change a light bulb in a house or something like that. Uh, but I want to talk about OSHA. I want to talk about uh, the importance of it and the, the knowledge that they also supply to not just theater educators, but, you know, just pretty much anybody that, uh, that wants to find out safety protocol uh, that they uh, sort of mandate, I guess, if you will. Uh, I want to shoot to Eric Friend first uh, to ask about the, the about OSHA because I know you have some examples of code books. Uh, they are not all necessarily OSHA, but they are uh, things that you want to include in your sort of library of of uh, rules and regulations that maybe educators and teachers and even administrators want to make sure they have on the shelf so that they can talk with the proper terminology. So Eric, if you wanna speak on that real fast. Uh, yeah, there's 
the OSHA uh, guides and, and, and regulations are available online. Uh, they are so available as a print item, but it's a heavy, big book. And I don't, I'm not even sure the government's printing them anymore because it changes so rapidly. Uh, at one time, I had one. It was about as thick as a New York City phone book. Um, so it's, but understanding where to find your resources so you can quote them accurately and understand the actual wording is real important. So going to the OSHA.gov website is, is one resource. Uh, going to the National Fire Protection Association uh, website, nfpa.org, is very important because that's where you can find the Life Safety Code 101, uh, NFPA 204, which is a standard for uh, smoke and heat venting that covers your smoke vents over your stage. Uh, NFPA, uh, no, numbers, uh, 70, which is the National Electric Code, which affects all the wiring that you do over the stage, uh, is important, as well as the uh, NFPA 80, which is the standard for fire doors and other, other opening protectives, which includes your fire curtain. So all of these books that affect how you use your space, that information is available to you. Reasonably affordable, uh, certainly available online for free uh, if you want to use that resource that way. Uh, but having the documents in front of you where you can go through, read them, they're, they're great to help put you to sleep at night. Uh, but once you've highlighted the things that you see that directly affect your operations in your theater, you can use those to communicate that specific, accurate information to other uh, stakeholders in your facility. Uh, so a lot of times people don't want to believe you that there's a rule that says X, Y, Z. So having the being able to quote it chapter and verse is very important. Um, the other thing I want to point out is that uh, OSHA is different in, in each state. There are is a federal plan OSHA, a state plan OSHA. And in it affects whether in, in different states, it affects whether or not public schools are covered uh, under OSHA regulations. Uh, either way, if you have a private school, like a private university or a uh, uh, religious school, you are under OSHA requirements in those private situations. So what's important is that you don't know where the students are going to end up with their jobs. They get a summer job at, at an amusement park or in another theater. OSHA applies in those circumstances. So whether you are specifically uh, covered under OSHA is really something to just not address um, in the classroom, just inform the students about OSHA and OSHA regulations and help them understand that every job they will have, uh, with the exception of working in a public school in a uh, federal plan state, uh, will put you under OSHA. If you go out and work in the live entertainment industry, you'll be under OSHA. So understanding all those regulations, whether they specifically apply to you or not, is very important. Part of that Part of that too is even if you as a public school employee are not covered, there are going to be people that come into your space who are covered. So when I'm working for my AV company, I'm covered by OSHA. And if I'm working in a public school, that school needs to meet the OSHA standards. So it's just good to use it everywhere. I'll also point out that while uh, an individual might not be under OSHA specifically, chances are they're under an insurance company and the insurance company wants those same standards to apply to all the people, whether they're under OSHA or not, or their standards are so similar 
that if you're following the OSHA standard, they'll be happy. So I want to throw it to these guys at the table real fast, <clears throat> since both of you, uh, well, both of you go in after the fact sometimes, but when you go in, and I know all of you on the screen do installs as well and, and sort of help with, uh, uh, well, not installs, but you, you help, yeah, you help, you can help design a space and help, you know, give, give uh, recommendations on a space. So when you go into a space, <clears throat> after the fact, after it's been built and done and completed, uh, at where do you speak up? Where do you say to a space that has already been uh, built, not your space, not your consulting, not your work, but you have now been called in to, you know, they want uh, uh, an upgrade in lighting. They want, uh, well, for same for you as well. They want a new sound system. Where do you speak up to say, hey, you know, this has been out of compliance for however long you've had it uh and do you do you say something to them even if it has nothing to do with the job that you have to complete but uh yes absolutely because if we as consultants walk into that space and we see something and we don't mention it then we still have liability Got it. uh that we didn't bring it up while we were in the space okay that's exactly right it's a good point because the, the problem there is in those situations when there are incidents, things happen, there's a tendency in schools um, to point the finger. Um, yeah. Somebody came through and they never told us it was bad. It. We sort of live with that liability. It's a daily thing. So I think that, yeah, I think in every case, um, you know, whether you're there for that specific subject, that's not the issue. You bring it up, you call attention to it um, just in hopes that they you know, take that seriously and there's a remedy there. Uh, and sometimes it falls on us to write the plan mm -hmm. for how it needs to be remedied. Sometimes just raising the red flag and saying, hey, this is terrible. You know, in most cases, the director doesn't know the solution. You've got to not only point it out, but you've also got to walk them to getting it fixed. Yeah. So what do you, uh, and Christy, I'll go to you on this first. Sure. Uh, where do you, and and Dan, uh, pardon me for asking, but where where are you? What, what state are you in? Oh, I'm up in uh, Missouri. Okay. And I'm in Wisconsin. You, I, yeah, I knew Christy... I think we could all tell anyway, but, uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but, uh, so Christy, where do you, um, uh, when you, when you walk into a space or excuse me, not when you walk into a space, I just asked that, uh, when you are, uh, uh, what do you recommend? Let me back up. Let me English better. What do you recommend for an educator that might not know their, uh, space or what is out of compliance? Uh, not necessarily with OSHA, but with also other codes and such, who do you recommend they call? And it's not a company, just what type of person should they call to bring into a space that can kind of almost tick off, uh, here's here's something that's wrong, here's something that's wrong, that kind of thing. Who would you, who do you think we should call? This is such a highly specialized area of study. You are looking at three and I'd say there's maybe two or three more people in the country that I would call. You know, if you're in Texas, give Eric a call. He's right there. If you're in the middle of the world, Dan's right there. If you're up North Central, give me a call. Uh, if you're out on the East Coast, um, Bill Sapsis has guys that go out and do it. If you're out on the West Coast, Utah. I can't think of the name of the company in Utah. But, you, you know, call the person who's local to you because you're going to want to establish a relationship. And if we go back in five years, 10 years, we're going to keep documentation of the buildings that we've gone into so we can do some comparison. None of us know it all, none of us. And we call each other, we call our friends, we call 
experts that we know so that we help each other out. So if you're a high school teacher, you're a school teacher, you're in a house of worship, whatever, and you say, I'm not sure, call somebody. We're here to help you. How do I know you're the right person? Not you specifically. How do, how do uh, and, and anybody can take that, but, you know, I, I could market myself as this all-knowing genius tech theater guy. You, you could. You could. I've got my master's is on theater safety in high schools. Dan's got a degree specifically on occupational safety. Uh, Eric, I, 30 years, 40 years, he's been doing this for forever. 45. Somebody who's been doing this for a long time. So, Dan, you were about to say something? Yeah, I was going to say I find a lot of value in certifications by our trade organizations. So, Based on whatever subject matter you're working with at the time, there's probably a certification for it. And some of them are really hard. ETCP is one of the challenging ones, but you get some really good rigors with the ETCP theater rigging certification. CTS is for audio video. Uh, The CSP, GSP, a couple others, those are for safety. look towards people that have the credentials because now you have a independent organization who's put a committee together that says, these are the things that somebody needs to know. And now this person has demonstrated that. And at least at the point that they took the test, they knew everything uh, within (laughs) the criteria. Um, So that is the litmus test that I tell people is when you want the expert, Find somebody who's certified. Find you want somebody who's done it 500 times before they step foot in your venue. Yeah. Um, and it's like you, you don't want a heart surgeon. You don't want to be the first patient with a heart surgeon uh, when they're right by themselves. No, you you want the doctor who's done it. And if they have a resident, great. But you want somebody's done it. Same thing with certifications. You want somebody who has the credentials, has somebody else saying this person knows what they're doing. So, uh, Eric, friend, uh, can you give me a handful of certifications that you feel a theater educator, not necessarily, you know, not an IOTC, not not somebody like that, but do you have a, a handful of certifications that you feel would be feasible? Because I know the rigging one, I've looked into that to become certified in rigging, and I know how time ex- extensive it is uh, time-wise to, to do that. Are there a handful of them that that you would recommend that are feasible for an educator to get and that would help them become more aware in their own space? I think probably like the first one would be first aid. Go get your first aid class, uh-huh. uh, get your AED training. Uh, these are the things you got to be the first responder. Uh, you're right there where the accident happened. Uh, you want to obviously do things to prevent accidents from ever happening. But uh, as, as far as skill training, that would be the very first to get. Um, the uh, ETCP uh, rigging training, uh, electrical training are very good. You're, you're teaching people how to use your rigging system if you have one, and you're using electricity in the theater. Understanding the requirements of, of handling that electricity is important. That said, you know, it's boring, but getting the NFPA code books for these things is helpful. It helps identify the different uh, parts of your building you need to pay attention. Uh, crowd manager certification, it's relatively easy to get. Uh, understand how many people 
need to be present for an event and what their training needs to be so that you can manage your facility. Uh, the other teachers that use your facility should obviously also have that crowd management uh, training. You wanna be able to uh, help uh, guide uh, everyone in case of some sort of an emergency or an accident. And that's what that training's for. Uh, your OSHA training, your basic OSHA 10 hour class helps you understand the purpose of OSHA and what classifications of training are out there. There's a lot more OSHA training than an OSHA 10, but that's a basic 10 hour course. There are specialists that teach the OSHA 10 with a orientation towards theater. Uh, it's a generic industry safety. So it, the people that run uh, cranes on a construction site and the guy that runs the jackhammer on a construction site, they also need OSHA 10. But there are a few people that have tailored that under OSHA's blessing for the uh, theater environment so that uh, the wording of things is relevant to the audience. The Event but, Safety Alliance has a, an OSHA 10 and an OSHA 30 that are tailored to the live events industry that are very good. And for high school teachers, the National Federation of State High School Associations, yes, I know that's a mouthful, but if you look up NF, nfhs.org, in their educational programming, they have a two and a half hour online theater safety class that anybody can take for free. And that's fabulous for teachers at any age level and also high school students certainly can handle that content. You know, the uh, Event Safety Alliance has their Event Safety Access uh, webinar, and it's, it is a small cost. It's not terrible, but it's actually a really good uh, webinar. I did it in an afternoon, and uh, there's some good information in there as well that's uh, broken down into bite-sized chunks for anybody in the industry. I want to second that Event Safety Alliance uh, organization and their documents that they have. It's a very comprehensive it was originally developed for the live production industry um, after a series of very uh, tragic events that happened a few years back, but it has been rounded out and it really addresses everything that we do in a uh, small theater environment as well as a large uh, concert environment. So the event safety guidebook is a, a real good investment in your time and uh, certainly worthy. Any of these manuals are worthy of having your students do special assignments, little homework assignments. You don't have them make a report on the whole book, have them make a report on one little subject matter. Right, uh, Paul? Uh, yeah, I was gonna jump in. So you talked a little bit about codes and Eric has talked about uh, NFPA standards. The other thing that you wanna look at are the ANSI standards. Uh, and those are all listed on the ESTA works, uh, website. Uh, so there are ESTA standards for uh, theatrical lighting, for, um, uh, mechanical hoisted rigging, uh, counterweight rigging, all of those standards are available and are something that you should be familiar with. Um, there, if I, I'm not mistaken, there's actually uh, one of those ESTA standards lists like if you were going to do a rigging inspection, things that you can look for to do an inspection in your own space. So, oh, great transition. It's almost like we planned this. Almost. Uh, <laughs> so I want to move on to rigging. Uh, you know, there are a lot of spaces that still have uh, 30, 40 year old counterweight systems that have either never been inspected or not been inspected enough. I wanna get a couple of uh, simple look fors in a rigging uh, system that are red flags, immediate red flags. You know, uh, there are, so, you know, obviously uh, 
taped together ropes, I hope is a red flag for everybody. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that exists, but I hope not. Uh, yeah, well, there you go. But uh, but you know, some people their their uh, their ropes are extreme. They they don't have any tension on them. That kind of thing. You can go and it whips back and forth, and uh, that's that's kind of a tell of certain issues. Knots are hand tied. You can tell if a knot is properly was either fixed by somebody that had no idea what they were doing or, you know, was had some e-tape thrown around it. Um, but what are some uh, immediate look-fors? Uh, Dan, I want to go to you first. I don't think I've gone to you first yet. I'll put you on the spot uh, first, and then we'll go around. Well, my big pet peeve is wire rope clips. And I can't, I can't even go into at least a venue and see one somewhere in their system that someone's just put it on backwards. Um, or if they have it alternating where they go one, one way, one, the other, one, the other, I'm like, why that defeats the whole purpose of a wire rope clip. Um, I actually don't like to see them at all in systems because people screw them up so bad. Uh, I'll take the sleeves uh, whenever I specify them. But that is one of my biggest pet peeves is people installing them incorrectly. Uh, after that, it really comes down to, you know, when you're, when you run the lines, do you hear something squeak? Does something move when it shouldn't move? Does it not move when it should move? Is it clean? And I say, is it clean? Because that gives you an overall health of your system. If it is clean, you can look and your, your knots are going to be well-maintained, properly whipped and uh, just in really good shape where if it's not clean, all right, maybe the ends are all tattered and they're all out, but it's going to be so indicative of other problems in your system that if, if your place is clean, you're just going to start seeing stuff and looking at it going, man, you know, I don't know this. I'm not a subject matter in this, but I do know this doesn't look right. I better call somebody. Uh, okay. Christy. Yeah, cleanliness is a big thing. Um, if you keep your stage floor clean and you walk in one morning and there's a square-shaped nut in the middle of the floor, <laughs> you can pretty much assume that there's something going on in the rigging. And I had that happen to me when I was teaching once. So, <laughs> it, it, but if you don't have your floor clean, it's a very simple thing. You know, we're talking a broom. We're not talking about making a major investment. It's a broom and 10 minutes of your time to keep that floor swept. But you can tell a lot about what's going on. Also rust. If your fire hatch doors up above don't seal properly, things will be rusty. And as things get moved, you'll see the rust particles falling down on the floor. So I second everything Dan said and add on, look for the cleanliness in the middle of the floor. Uh, Eric, friend? Well, I want to pre precursor the, the cleanliness. Uh, if you're having somebody come to look at your systems, don't clean up first. Go ahead and leave it a mess for that first inspection because what we find in that mess can be telltale signs of problems. If you've cleaned everything up, we can't, we don't, we can't see the problems as obviously. So uh, hold off on the cleaning until after your inspection uh, and then keep it clean uh, for the very reasons that Christy mentioned of uh, being able to spot something that's out of place. Uh, the other uh, thing that really uh, catches my eye you know, with, with rigging, uh, particularly the old rod type counterweight uh, carriages is people will not tighten the hold down uh, fasteners that hold the weights on the carriage. I'll see them stored two, three feet up above the weights, completely missing. 
uh, or, or just laying there with the nut loose, not doing any good. If you ever have a runaway set and those things aren't tight, the counterweights can scatter away from the uh, carriages and come raining down in 40 pound bricks. You know, I just did an inspection two weeks ago and someone had actually put all the all of the bricks on top of the nuts. Yeah, and I've it's like, oh, <laughs> <wow>. <laughs> oh, geez. I found them where the rings, where the, 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 the tightening bolts go through were installed and the the boss where the the threaded hole was supposed to be had never been drilled out and threaded. So it had been that way for 30, 40 years. They, they'd installed it without ever installing the threaded uh, clamp nuts. And you, been... you know, another one of my pet peeves is uh, missing spreader plates. Okay. When, when, when people either aren't using them or if they're not there at all. And it's like, you know, a couple of years ago at USITT, someone actually came out with, uh, it's called a retro spreader. It's actually the most simple thing. It's just two pieces of metal that come together and it's all 30 bucks. And it's like, you, you know, if, if, if you're not familiar with spreader plates, it's, uh, it keeps the bars together uh, in between all of the, um, all the weights. So if you do have a runaway, you don't have weights raining down on you. And so they're just super important and people just oh they get in the way they put them high they put them low they don't want to use them yeah yeah. Yeah. well and sometimes it's just simple things though we're talking about the weights and and how many times do we walk up on catwalks and find that the weights are literally stacked so much higher than the tow board yeah Yeah. and then there's kids just leaning on them and, and weights are falling but you know one of the the things i think that we see the most it's not so much about things being wrong it's it's things that they know they're wrong and it's like that for months and months and months like buddy tie-offs on you know line sets because the rope locks they knew the rope locks needed to be adjusted but you'll go in six months later and there's still buddy tie-offs holding those same line sets and it's been a problem that just didn't get attended to sometimes it's just they know what the problem is they're aware the problem is there but it just never gets remedied and and that's really what i think bothers us on my end is going in these same schools and seeing the same problems for months and months and months that they're aware of, uh, but don't ever repair them. I, I think that again is is sort of for us is one of the biggest issues of we're dealing we're talking about safety in theaters. It's it's more so about I think in a lot of cases directors are aware that the safety issues exist, uh, but they don't necessarily uh, either have the means or understand the process on how to get those things or who to go to in terms of getting them repaired. So, uh, Paul, do you have anything you want to add? Uh, well, I wanted to uh, kind of add on to Dan's point about, it's it's a lot about what you hear. So yes. uh, he mentioned squeaking, but you can hear grinding noises or clattering. So it could be that uh, the, the track that the counterweights don't ride in is, is off. And so that's making a banging noise that over time is degrading the shoes on the arbors. Or uh, if you have, uh, if you have a sloped roof, then you generally have lock blocks that are on a swivel, and sometimes those don't sit flat. So then the lift lines are rubbing on the arbor, and you're degrading the wire rope over time. And those are all things that you can hear, and it's key to be able to uh, use multiple people to identify where are those noises coming from, because that will ultimately lead you to the source of a future problem. Right. Now, now I, I know the quick answer to the question that I'm about to ask, but I want to see if I can dive a little deeper in this because uh, I came from a space of seven years of just dead hung 
soft goods and uh, a certain somebody sitting at this table came to my space and said the 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 tracks that you have are not rated for the curtains that you have. Uh, this was prior to that person coming to my space. His name rhymes with Saul. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I did not know that. You know, I, I was not, because they're dead hung, they're 20 feet in the air, uh, maybe taller in some cases. Uh, and so I'm not able to, because we didn't have a one-man uh, lift, you know, there was really no way of getting up there to check other than an educated eye coming in to see those issues. So for uh, an educator that is in their space that either might be in their first or second year in that space, not necessarily in teaching, uh, what do you recommend for them? Do, 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 we, do you just have to immediately call the professional eye to come in and say, here are your issues? Um, and this will lead into the advocacy conversation that we can have right after this. Uh, but if anybody wants to jump in and kind of speak on those kind of dead hung situations as well. I'll speak into that is that uh, many of the, the dead hung situations, particularly in older schools, uh, battens and draper tracks were hung with what we call uh, dog chain or twisted wire chain. It's just it was never low graded. It was never intended for hanging things. And that stuff's been sitting up in the ceiling, rusting for the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Uh, they, these facilities, if you see dog chain holding up your rigging, you need a rigging inspection. Uh, that's, that's the, one of the keys. It's more common than you think. Yeah, yeah it, it is. And it's, it's really dangerous because if that thing ever gets a load snagged on it, uh, some other piece of scenery that somebody's moving around, it can literally just pull those chain links apart, particularly when they're rusted. Uh, so those are really uh, a, a giveaway that something hasn't ever been attended to. Because uh, we quit using dog chain uh, in in professional consulting industry, you know, a good thirty years ago, forty years ago. I mean, it's it's not a new problem, uh, a new uh, a recent thing. It's it's been addressed a long time back. Um, well, but to that said, I do know one contractor that still does it, and I've told him not to, but he still does. Yeah. Does his name rhyme with Saul? Anyway. <laughs> uh, no. Well, you, you asked about what a new teacher can do in their space. And a new teacher probably doesn't have the budget to pull one of us in right away. But your fire marshal would be happy to come in and take a walkthrough with you. Right. And oftentimes they will know, sometimes they won't know. But they're going to point out the things that they're aware of. And sometimes that's enough to give you the leverage to get one of us to come in. I'm actually glad you brought that up because that raises up a, a different issue and we get this phone call a lot. A lot of directors, a lot of fine arts directors and coordinators are afraid to call the fire marshal out of fear yeah. that if the fire marshal comes in, they're going to they're going to red flag some items. And it's going to cause that theater to shut down. Now, rightfully so, the theater shouldn't be operating unsafely. But that is a common fear. We hear that a lot, mm -hmm. uh, that they're they're afraid as a contractor, I might go in because of something I've seen and call the fire marshal. That, that has, has been talked about quite a bit. And, and, I, and I think, you know, I don't know if they're, how, again, because I've never been a theater educator, never been in that situation. I don't know what the protocol is there um, for how to get somebody to come look without, you know, necessarily losing their performance space. It's happened. I've, I've called up the fire marshal and said, I would like a get out of jail free card visit. I'd like you to come in and help me so I can help to make this place be in compliance. Excellent right. answer. And, and they've been fabulous about it. They want the facility to be safe. Because if I say, I just put my head in the sand, I thought maybe that might've been unsafe, but I wasn't really sure. And something happens, 
then I'm definitely liable because I thought there might have been an issue and I did not do what a prudent, responsible person would do. You know, as teachers, you have an in loco parentis responsibility to your students. That's greater than a, I'm just a person off the street responsibility. So if you have any inkling that there might be something wrong, let your administration know, let your fire marshal know, let one of us know, you know, I, I can't always do it, but I've stopped by a place for 20 minutes and said, yeah, we need to take a closer look at this or have your fire marshal come in and write this up because we all want safe workplaces for us and safe places for our kids to go to school. Yeah. That said, I think uh, sometimes fire marshals are overrated in the sense that they're, they're going to notice everything. Uh, I've gone through numerous facilities where people uh, where there was just all kinds of uh, fire code related things and other safety issues. And somebody would say, well, my fire marshal was just here last month and he didn't say anything. So fire marshals don't understand theater and they don't always see what's going on. And if you hear that somebody from further up your administration say, oh, the fire marshal was here and he said everything's okay, it is largely to me a meaningless statement because they don't understand theater, they don't understand how it's used and how it's abused. Uh, you need to be proactive. Certainly inviting them in is, is a good gesture. Uh, and there's a lot of good excuses to invite them in because they need to know how to rescue somebody from your gridiron. And it's an informative trip for them. They, they need to know if somebody's injured up on a catwalk somewhere, how do you get there? Because that's where some people get hurt lots of times. And if the police, if the fire department uh, rescue people don't know how to get to the victim, uh, they have a very difficult time achieving that goal. Dan, go ahead. Yeah, Dan, did you have something you wanted to add? I saw you kind of. Oh, uh, I was going to say, and OSHA will do it too. Uh, they will do a consultative walkthrough and say, well, here, here's all the things that need improvement. Now they expect you to go through and do it after the fact, but uh, they won't fine you or anything like that. Uh, the, and they'll tell you, okay, here, here's all the things that we want you to work on. And they really will do that for free uh, upon invitation. They like to be asked uh, because they do want to prevent accidents and injuries. Now, if two years goes by and you don't do it, and then you have uh, a fatality or something for some reason and then they say well two years ago on your consultative walkthrough we said you need to fix this and you didn't you might be in a little bit of trouble but uh that said they'll show up they'll let you know for free what you need done yeah and i do want to add in uh as somebody that's gone from uh that's now uh, inhabited a couple of schools as an educator if that does happen if if osha comes in if the fire marshal comes in and they have addressed you and the issues that you need to uh, fix and address. If you leave that summer for another school, you are still liable for when that person came in, that inspector came in to check and they will, your administration will, or former administration in this case, will still hunt you down. I'm not speaking from experience. I'm just telling you that I know that that they can and will do that. Uh, so it's not one of these um, uh, uh, issues because I do know some educators that have left uh, poor situations when it comes to their structure, uh, partially because their structure was poor. That might have been a catalyst for them leaving, and they are still liable if they did have an inspector come through the space at some point during their tenure. So just throwing that out there. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, something else that uh, the audience may not understand, but many of us work 
uh, are hired by lawyers as expert witnesses in an injury case. Sure. And they mm-hmm. ask us to go in and objectively look at all the circumstances. And it's uh, really eye-opening, the experience that we have seeing uh, what caused different tragedies. And you don't always recognize uh, right up front what may have set that off. And frequently in the, my experience is that there have been buildings constructed, brand new buildings, People haven't been in them but a week and somebody will be injured seriously. And you trace back through all of the process and architects, engineers, constructors, building inspectors, and even the owner have all contributed to that accident by not uh, having done having the building properly constructed in the first place. So if you come into a building and you feel like something's not safe, there's a, a ladder or hatchway that's exposed without guards. There's catwalk railings or, or too open. Uh, other, you know, fall injury situations, uh, not proper work lighting, not proper run or show lighting. This is where accidents happen. And you need to address this, that this there are minimum illumination levels, minimum standards for railings and catwalks and ladders and that these things need to be built to those standards. Um, even if you're not an OSHA compliant uh, or an OSHA uh, governed area of your school, the contractor still had to make it OSHA compliant as he built it. You get the benefit of his responsibility. Uh, so there's really never an excuse for these things to go by, but they regularly happen. Right. Uh, so, Eric, I want to touch on uh, one thing that, that to kind of wrap up the, the consulting and who should come in and out of your space and all that stuff by uh, kind of touching on the difference between a salesperson and an independent contractor uh, or an independent consultant, excuse me. Uh, uh, and I want you to speak on that. And then if anybody wants to, because we have a few, uh, if, if anybody wants to speak on that after you are done. Uh, our largest concern is is always as we're doing design work uh, is for the the benefit of the owner. Uh, it, it's not always for the benefit of the administration, even though or it, it is, but they don't understand that. But we're trying to get the owner a working theater space that's safe. And we don't sell equipment. We don't install equipment. We don't wrench on equipment. Um, so what we are trying to do is give them tools to produce their shows. And when we come in, we don't have an agenda where I've got a bunch of lighting instruments or rigging equipment that's in my back stock and I need to move it. Uh, there is an inclination, uh, at least from our perspective, that when salespeople come in from a contractor is that they may recommend things, but it's not necessarily an altruistic recommendation because they may want to move some product uh, that they have that they need to get rid of, or they just want to sell equipment. And the recommendations we see sometimes from contractors and salespeople are not always aligned with what the owner needs in a bigger picture. Part of that comes from contractors being very specific in their focus. They are a lighting person or a rigging person or a drapery person, but they're not, they don't look at the whole big picture. A consultant is generally knowledgeable about all of the operations inside the theater, uh, the electrical things, the Uh, sound system, acoustics, fire protection, all these different pieces. So whenever we see a problem, we look at it in the context of all these systems, not just one system. Uh, So we see situations where 
somebody comes in and they see one little problem, they got one little answer, but they're not, they're not looking at the big picture. And also they're not looking uh, for convenience uh, for them, or they are looking for convenience for the salesperson. Um, they're not looking at the convenience for the owner. One of these things that we find are missing fly galleries. You'll go in and there's a locking rail, but there's no loading galleries or the loading galleries in the wrong place. Well, putting a loading gallery in is a rather expensive process. You got to get a structural engineer and structural contractors to install these things. And, and it's all got to get designed in a theater context. And a contractor is generally reluctant to bring up a big ticket item that they're not making money on. The, the structural guy and the structural engineer, they're going to make more money on it than the contractor is. But that is what's needed to make the fly system safe is a safe place to load the weights. I see a lot of theaters where they left out the loading galleries and I was like, why did they leave them out? So, well, we were saving money. Well, at what expense? So uh, we're very cautious about looking at the big picture of why something needs changed and not just the focused little picture. Well, and to that point, Eric, I, I think you, you, know, you raised something that's valid. <laughs> because I'm a contractor and I'm on that side of the fence, we see that every day. We do see the contractors come in. Um, and again, it, it's everything you said. I think that what boils, what should happen there, what it boils down to is that is where the relationship between the district or the director and your contractor is so important, right? Because, you know, you might have a contractor who might want to um, sell something to get more margin on that's not uh, as safe or accurate for the project. But um, I know that in our relationship with those schools and those theaters, that if I do that, um, they've got my cell phone. I'm on the hook. If something happens there, they're going to call me. It's going to be out of my pocket to go back and make that remedy. I'm going to have to eat the cost of that fix. It's so important uh, for school districts, for directors to know who their contractor is, who they're dealing with, have a relationship with them um, so that they feel like uh, as a contractor, I'm looking out for their best interest. Where we see that happen the most is with, uh, and this happens a lot with design build because it's it's public bid where you've got a contractor coming in and um, they've never had a relationship. They don't know that contractor. They come in from somewhere outside of their region where the school is being built. And uh, it's difficult at that point because you don't have a relationship. You can't go to that person and get the remedy after it's done. Uh, but just that for me, I think that's hugely important. We preach that to the directors and the fine arts directors and the superintendents the districts over and over again to make sure you're doing business with a contractor that you know uh, has your best interest in mind. I, I fully agree with that. The uh, The bid process uh, can really muddy the waters, particularly when, with uh, uh, contractors that are a long way from home. That doesn't mean they're a bad contractor, but it is a relationship issue. One of the problems that arises with design builds, if, if a contractor designs something and then another contractor bids on it, uh, then a question comes up about substitutions and uh, is the installation proper? It, it leaves the uh, designer that didn't get the contract in the seat of being the judge of is that right or is that okay to do that? Or will they even spend the time to answer that question since they didn't get the bid? And that leaves the school district trying to make a decision about a technical item that they largely don't know anything about. So you can put yourself in a bind by not having an impartial judge to referee the construction process. 
And you can waste a lot of money that way. One of my pet peeves is the one size fits all lighting package. <laughs> That's not true. Theaters are not built the same way. Right. So don't tell me that this quarter million dollar package with this $10,000 lighting board is what I need for this small incandescent theater that would be just fine with this $3,000 lighting board. I, I, it's frustrating for me as a taxpayer too, because I see the money that's being wasted that could be spent on a loading bridge or on something else that would make that facility better and more educationally sound. Oh man, I could go on for hours about what Christy just said. <laughs> <laughs> Another podcast. <laughs> Speaking of someone that just left a school that replaced their curtains uh, two years after replacing their curtains because the bond said to do so. Oh, I digress. Uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, Paul, do you have anything you want to add to that particular topic? I mean, I feel like Eric and Eric have yeah. uh, <laughs> Eric addressed addressed the meat of it. Um, you know, just to reiterate what Eric friend has said. Um, yeah, it's uh, contractors generally come in with an agenda. They have equipment to sell, um, and or they have certain equipment relationships, and those are not always the best tools for the job. Uh, and that's where consultants like Eric and Dan and Christy and myself um, can make an, an equipment agnostic, is how we define it, a uh, decision for or recommendation yeah. uh, for equipment in your space. Because as Eric said, um, we don't have a skin in the game. We want what's best for you. We are an end user advocate uh, to make sure that you get the best system. Um, and one thing that I can say from my own personal experience is, you know, if you are going through the process where you're going to, you need something done and that work is going to go out on a bid, um, you know, some people are afraid to engage uh, consultants because of the cost, the additional cost right. on top of just the equipment. But generally speaking, uh, your equipment costs go down because we don't just specify one thing. Um, so it ends up in a wash or you still end up spending less money because now it's a competitive bid yeah. instead of a design build where you're locked into whatever that contractor is trying to offload that day. Yeah. And, and, you know, it speaks to the point of there's a, there's a school not too far from where we're sitting right now that has probably a, a solid dozen or two dozen single cell led psych lights sitting in a catwalk because they don't need them. Uh, they already have enough psych lights. Well, that's, that's $15,000 of equipment that could have gone, you know, allocated to, to another spot in that school. So uh, again, that that's a topic that we could probably sit and discuss for, you know, share stories here. Dan, you didn't, you haven't contributed to this specific topic. Do you have anything you want to, you want to add or is everything? Well, well first I think that uh, it's really important for teachers, especially to understand the process for procurement in their district and it's going to be different in every district that's okay but knowing what the plans are what the specs are what should be in the bid package what you can change in the front end what you can't change uh what what subject matter you shouldn't touch versus versus all the uh district policy that you can absolutely change unless the district doesn't want you to. Kind of knowing that process and the steps, I don't think very many teachers know about it and they should. Mm. Uh, they need to know what good specs are and what that looks like. And if you don't know or if you've not seen a spec package, you can call any of us up. Uh, we can give them to you or a quick Google search with any of the 
uh, consultant names will probably bring one up. Spend some time reading bid packages of other uh, schools, other industries even, just to get the process down and to learn what is in a good package. But the rule of thumb that I use is when I put plans and specs together, if I can answer as many questions as possible and make as many decisions for my integrators so that they don't have to come back and say, do you want this light switch to be black or white? Uh, or do you want uh, light A or light B? If, if I can say as much as I can so they don't have to come back and ask questions, then what it gives them the ability to do is sharpen their pencil because they say, hey, I don't have to throw money at something because I know what's expected of me. Um, the other thing it, that uh, can be done to hiring a consultant is we can register projects with manufacturers and get master quotes. That means all of my vendors get the exact same pricing from the manufacturer, but it also means the manufacturer knows the equipment's coming and you're able to jump the line in purchasing a little bit because they know about it. a lot of times manufacturers will just say, okay, first in, first out. And when the integrator submits the PO, you go in line and when we get the chips, we'll send it out. Well, if you have a consultant, they might make it a little bit earlier. There's a very big AV supplier that's uh, starting to do that, as are a few others. So if your project's on a timeline, it's going to start uh, being a real big asset to bring a consultant in. Good. Thank you. Uh, so I want to move on to uh, a big topic, another big topic. And then we might touch on some smaller ones if we have time. <laughs> but uh, I want to move on to advocacy. Uh, to administration, to school boards, to superintendents, to just in-house principals and, and assistant principals. Uh, we have loosely touched on some things with talking about if you bring in a fire marshal, that can maybe open a door to, uh, you know, go talk to a principal about bigger issues and, and, and get some backing and maybe hopefully some financial backing as well to fix certain issues. Um, Advocacy is a huge topic, at least I know in the state of Texas, it's a big topic. We have advocacy networks uh, that go to Capitol Hill and in Austin that just try to get theater to be more in the front, uh, in the foreground rather than in the background uh, for, for students and for educators. So uh, I wanna start at this table first uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll go to my, my Zoomers if, you will. I hope you don't mind that term. Uh, not the derogatory term, the, the Zoomers, if you. Uh, but um, Eric, uh, we have had conversations about advocating to uh, fine arts directors and uh, who, who don't need necessarily a lot of advocating. Some do because they might not be theater background affiliated. Uh, but what is kind of the first step, in your opinion, and we can build on the first step. First step doesn't need to be the answer for everybody. Uh, uh, unless you want to uh, add to what he says, but what is sort of the first step that you think a theater educator uh, or even a fine arts director that might have a theater background uh, uh, should take in order to get issues resolved or uh, make sure that they are taking care of the bed is made, so to speak, 
for, for their department? Well, you know, we spent the last few years spending a lot of time with fine arts directors and fine arts coordinators. And, and it's, we hear the same thing over and over again. I think it starts with, we'll sit down with fine arts directors and they'll tell us, we go to the directors every year and we say, look, what vendors do you want to use? If you have capital outlay, where do you want to put it? What are the things you need? And over and over again, those fine arts directors come back and say they give us nothing. The directors don't tell don't us know. what they need. They don't know. And so because that information is not put out there, nothing ever gets done. I think that it really starts with communication between the directors and the finance coordinator, finance directors uh, saying, hey, look, you know, here's the problems we're having. Make a laundry list. Say these are the things that happen over and over and over again. Here's the things that we have problems with over and over and over again. I think that also is the case in terms of you know, we were talking a little bit about some of these smaller districts, right, that are not 6A or 5A, they're 3A and they're 4A and bond gets uh, approved and they're about to get a new facility. The directors, you know, are simply sort of left in the dark about what is going to happen, what's coming in that renovation. And, you know, we, we don't talk a whole lot about it, but in a lot of cases, um, I'm, I'm glad we have a lot of consultants in the room. And Paul's in a unique position because he worked for one of the largest installers really in the world. Um, and now being on the other side of that, being the consultant, in a lot of cases, those contractors are playing the role of the consultant and they're playing the role of the installer. Um, and, and in some cases, that leaves the director and the fine arts director and the construction person at the district sort of out of the loop uh, as to as you know to sort of what's happening. I don't want to go off topic, but because we have consultants on the feed, and I think the audience wants to hear it, is if a director were to call a, a consultant and say, "Hey, look, there's a design build going on, and I have no idea what's happening," you know. And there's no consultant being brought in by the architect. And in a lot of cases, it's a copy and paste I plan. Do consultants, when they get that phone call, what is that action that you take as a consultant? Do you call the district? Do you call the architect and say, hey, look, I just know there's not a consultant on this, this particular project. Um, is that something that consultants even entertain? You're not being brought in to consult that project, but you know that there's a facility being built that does not have a consultant as part of the package. As a consultant, um, do you take that phone call? Do you make a phone call to the architect and say, hey, there's no consultant here? Or does the district have to say, we want to consult, we want to hire you, and is that the only way that sort of goes? Uh, so I will tell you that sometimes, uh, as much as the district would like to hire a consultant, <laughs> um, they're not willing to be, they're not willing to include a fee for that service. And so that's why you see a lot of copy and paste schools because uh, we've already paid for this design. We don't have to get it again. Do it again. Um, but uh, I mean, we're always willing to help uh, people who call and have questions. I mean, uh, we're happy to entertain that. Um, and I mean, some people may charge for it and some may not, but uh, all of us here have talked a little bit about it. But yeah, end user advocacy is one of the most important things that we do. When a consultant is on the project, one of our main goals is to always make sure that the needs of the people who are going to be in that space are a part of every decision throughout the design process. Because a lot of times those end users don't get a say. I mean, even though we will try to get them involved, that's not always possible. So uh, that's where you know an independent consultant maybe has that advantage that we care about what the end user needs and not, not anything else. 
See, that's a good point. I think it's good for the directors to hear that the consultants are there for their benefit. Um, and, and I think sometimes that they're they're not registering what the what the point of that consultant is and and where that how that role is played inside of design build. I think it's so common now to have the contractor, which you know, as I understand it, Eric Friend, you can you can and you can talk about this too. I believe that procurement law says that that the contractor can't actually be the consultant. I believe there's a law that says that's actually not. Am I am I right on that? You're muted, Eric. It varies from state to state and district to district what the exact procurement laws are. But my bigger question to a, any administration is, I mean, they, they hire kitchen consultants. They hire playing field consultants for the football field. They hire parking lot consultants. Why would you not hire a consultant for a building that's 10 or $20 million portion of your construction? And to have, uh, to rely on an architect that is, uh, doesn't necessarily know theater, uh, particularly the most recent and modern equipment for theaters and the way they're used today versus 10 or 20 years ago is uh, kind of you know irresponsible of the, the district to do that. The advocacy to get a consultant online with a project uh, is a difficult challenge. You're this initially, you need to convince the administration that there, this needs to happen. And they don't always understand what a consultant does. They confuse consultants with uh, salespeople. They confuse consultants with directors, theater director. Well, the theater director can tell us what they need. No, they, they know what tools they'd like, but they don't know under, how, to, under, how to design the tools. Uh, theater consultants are tool designers. We provide tools for everybody to do their job once the building's constructed. There's no expectation that somebody directing a show understands the intricacy of designing uh, a sound system, a lighting system, or a rigging system, uh, or room acoustics, or noise control, or any of these subject areas. Uh, they're very specific tasks and very specific uh, skills to achieve a, a good building. Uh, the need to have uh, an independent view of that is uh, further reinforced in that the architects and engineers don't necessarily understand theater either. So they're going to choose things that it worked before, uh, is there what they say, when it actually it didn't work before, they just think it did. Uh, air conditioning designers will tend to design air handling systems that are noisy, like you might put in a gymnasium, thinking, well, it's just a big room. Uh, and they don't get that how quiet it needs to be, particularly with modern sound systems where a lot of recording and remote, remote broadcasting is happening. The microphones pick up every little bit of noise from noisy air handling systems. It's interesting uh, to bring that up, Eric, because I don't think people realize how many design build projects from the theatrical standpoint are designed by the electrical engineer. I mean, we see that happen over and over and over again. Let me ask you this, in, in that case, um, where electrical engineers are um, copying, pasting, uh, if you will, um, from the director's standpoint, if, if you're the director at the school, um, and, I, and I don't want to keep harping on this, I just think they need to sort of hear the answer. If if there's not, if, if you don't have a consultant on the project, the director knows, the final director knows there is not a consultant on the project, but they have their drawings and they have their specifications and they have their equipment list. Do consultants take that phone call where they can say, here, can you just look over this? Is there a flat rate I can pay where you can look over this project and tell me what you think is either good or bad? 
I mean, because I would think at that point, uh, at least I know the finance directors that we deal with would say, look, if, if that's a $2,500 service, we'll pay that to have somebody just look over the package, look over the drawings. Is that something that consultants entertain? Yeah, we'd be happy to do that. It's whether there's any results from it still comes back to getting buy-in from the administration. You know, you can send the report to them and says, hey, this has got all these deficiencies, but largely the deficiencies that show up uh, are major design deficiencies, not minor design deficiencies. Um, the, the habit of uh, mechanical engineers designing poor sound uh, air conditioning systems and uh, electrical engineers relying on manufacturers rep to design the lighting. Few electrical engineers actually design lighting systems. They just pass the task off to a manufacturer's rep. So a representative. So they're, they're not actually doing the work. They're relying on somebody else to do the work for free. But when you get something for free, you, well, the value's for free. You know, you're not getting a paid service, knowledge, knowledgeable uh, support there. Um, so in, in hiring an independent consultant, we were trying to give you more than just what a manufacturer would say, oh, you need this package A or package B. Uh, we're, we're looking specifically at that building and those circumstances. Uh, and it's not uh, it, not a real simple process. Uh, we, we can review things, but the results, uh, unless there's some buy-in from the administration, uh, it's very difficult. We, we're more than happy to even have a meeting with the administration. I've done in the last two, three months, got it, at least a dozen Zoom meetings with administrators that are looking at doing repairs to their buildings and help them understand what we do and how it's different. Uh, and you, sometimes you see the light bulb come on and sometimes it's in one ear and out the other. Well, but you hit it on the head. That, that's the issue is that in some cases, the director or the finance director doesn't have the ammo. They don't have the evidence that they need to be able to get that buy-in by the district. And, and in some cases, if a consultant takes the phone call, has a flat rate and says, you know, hey, look, if you know you can save a lot of money here, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, it would make more sense if you do it this way. Now, for this flat rate, they've got the ammo that they, they can go to the district, they can go to the architect and say, you know, we really think this cons this consultant needs to be brought on. I think if directors hear that, um, they know that there is a tool that they can use uh, only because there are so many design builds, so many buildings that we go into after the fact, after they're built. And directors and finance coordinators and finance directors are basically saying, you know, this is not at all what, what we thought we were going to get. Um, we just feel like this was not done and this never happened and this wasn't brought up. And, and having that tool, having the ability for a director to know that it might not be uh, the most expensive thing in the world to be able to call a consultant knowing there's not one on the project uh, and say, can you look over this? It might give them the information that they need um, to be able to get those things remedied before the building is built. One other thing that I would encounter a lot is you've got an architect comes in and goes, oh, we're going to design you a theater and, uh, and it's going to be like this one down the street from an, in another district. And so the administrator from your district goes down and looks at the, the building in the other district and that administrator pops his suspenders and goes, ah, this is just wonderful. And even if they get the theater person in that other facility to give some input, that theater person is very reluctant to say anything negative about their theater in front of the other administrator. They're, they're going to pop their suspenders too and go, our theater's wonderful, is they're grimacing uh, with all the problems that they have. 
And so you've got reinforcement from one person to the next that this was a good idea, this theater that was a disaster. And so everybody's on board with, let's build one just like that. And the one just like that is a waste of money. So it's getting people to get down to the nitty gritty and not be afraid to say, oh, this other theater is, is really pretty, but it's not functional. And, you know, give them a list of why it's not functional. Help them understand that what they're building is not about pretty, but it's about functionality. Well, and that even if you're going to this, we're going to build it just like this school down the street. That school could be five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. Well, all that technology has probably is probably outdated and needs new systems anyway. So even if they built it exactly like that, you may not even be able to get some of those components anymore. We had that exact thing happen. A district wanted to build a, a new high school, just like the one they built 15 years before, which had been designed 20 years before. And there's technology that didn't, you couldn't even buy the technology. And so they were they were wanting to make it equal to the other school instead of investing in the old school and bringing it up to speed. They wanted to dumb down the new school to a technology that didn't even exist anymore. Dan, did you just put the background of the school that Eric was referencing? <laughs> so so this this one is one that uh, is kind of a, one I use tongue in cheek and. What was the first thing that you notice when you look at it? Color, yes. Well, okay, aside from the color. <laughs> For me. I'll, I'll give you a hint. Something's not the same. Rectangles. Oh, yeah. yeah. Your, 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 your walls are completely different. Yeah. Not only that, you're going to love this one. The, the uh, architect <laughs> did not want things to be symmetrical. So the lights, you, you take where it should be once here. Once here, they moved them forward and they moved them backwards. So now you're to have your same position, you actually have to have two different barrels in your lights to have the two different lenses. Oh. And it it's all this wood and like all this pretty surfaces and all that, but you built it to be a regional rep theater and, and a corporate theater, but a regional rep theater. And you yeah, made it really challenging for all these MFA students who are now designing for the space. But you know what? They're going to learn acoustics. <laughs> They're going to learn lighting. They're going to learn all this stuff really well because of all these challenges you just threw at them. I only see yellow. I mean, <laughs> I heard everything you said, Dan, but all I see is yellow. <laughs> but, this but was not my project, by the way. <laughs> that exemplifies a big problem with architects is they don't understand the interior aesthetic of yeah. the theater. And so they pick all kinds of color things. I'm, I'm looking at that picture and I'm seeing like 30 different things that were wrong with the color, not just one. Yeah. Um, they don't get color schemes relative to theaters. And that's how we end up with white theaters and black theaters and uh, yellow theaters instead of things that work. So Christy, you were, uh, so you about to yeah, say something. It's, it's not even the theatrical thing sometimes, it's how we use the related spaces. Like I've been working with a high school that had one room for a dressing room. Uh, hello, you need at least three in this time. And one bathroom facility backstage for whomever they might have, which was also supposed to be the room that they used for hand washing laundry. There was no washing machine. They had no paint sink, no slop sink, nothing like that for the use of the space. 
And so the school is having to go back, brand new building and retrofit all of these things at a much higher cost than if they'd had somebody come in and look at the entirety of what the theater needs to use in order to be functional. Okay, the support space design is very important. And it's it's not just, doesn't stop at the edge of the state playing area. Yeah. It's all backstage I, and, and stuff. I, I was talking to an architect and he was embarking on a new uh, high school design and wanted the theater to be the crown jewel of the high school. And his idea for crown jewel was put the theater in the dead center of the building. And he wanted your athletics out this side, a performing arts wing, your classrooms, your cafeteria and your library, like all the stuff surrounding your theater. And I looked at him and I said, how are you gonna load in a show? And he's like, oh, in lock. <laughs> yeah, you carry it. Uh, so let's go. <laughs> yeah. uh, lots of cards. So uh, going back to the advocacy thing, and and I appreciate all that conversation. Uh, uh, but I I do want to make sure that we hit on advocating for your program. And you know we we have. I mean, the last hour that hour plus that we've been talking, we've been you know there have been uh, nuggets of this is how you need to. To, or these are the tools you need to advocate. Uh, but I, I want to go back to that that kind of first step, if you will, of uh, where do you start? Uh, because the advocacy advocacy looks different everywhere you go, from school to school, from district to district, state to state. Uh, everywhere you go, you don't know who you need to advocate to necessarily in every space. Uh, and you might think you're advocating to the right person but that person has no pull. Uh, and, and so you've just wasted your time. Uh, so where do you start? And Christy, I know you have a lot of passion behind this. Um, uh, so I want to, we'll go to you uh, to, to kind of get us, get the ball rolling there. And then I've got one more question to wrap things up and then we'll uh, uh, go to happy hour. So go, go ahead. <laughs> well, I don't think it's ever a waste of time because you never know when you're talking to somebody who's going to talk to somebody else, who's going to talk to somebody else and you'll eventually get to the right person. The old, the old saying is telephone, telegraph, tell a woman. So talk to the women. Um, but what I oftentimes hear is you can't make a living at this. That's what I was told when I was in high school. That's why I didn't study theater in college. And I make a very good living at this. And I know many people who are earning well into six figures doing this. And I know a lot of people that are earning a decent middle-aged in middle wage income, not middle-aged, well, middle <laughs> class income. Yes, you know, you can pay your bills, you can raise your children on it. Uh, and you get to travel and you get to do all sorts of things that people don't generally think of when they think of stagehand, AV technician, uh, the folks who are working with all of this equipment. And it is, as the saying goes, marketable skills. You know, COVID happened and our industry shut down. And a lot of our members, a lot of the people that work in this industry found work using those skills in allied trades, whether it was in construction or, you know, I work, like I said, I work for an AV integrator during the day and I was home for a couple of weeks and then got the phone call back. Hey, Zoom, everybody needs Zoom equipment. How fast can you get back here? So the fact that we're able to use this as a viable career path is not often recognized. So I start with that. Did you know that this is a really good job and these skills can be used in a variety of jobs? Did you know that the ability to sew which we do in our costume classes, is important for a surgeon. Mm -hmm. Think about those ways that these same skills are used in a variety of crafts. Great. Now, so I, these high school kids, I want to have these skills so that they can get a job. And if it's not a job, if it's a, a avocation or they're serving in their house of worship, 
all of those are good things too. This is a place where the electrons don't care what color you are, what race you are, what age you are, if you only have one leg. All they care about is, can you move the fader? Can you hit the go button at the right time? Can you take a look at those lights and make them look great? And there's a place for this in this theater world for absolutely everybody. So when I talk to people about theater education, and as you can tell, yes, I am passionate about this. That's what I say. This is a place where absolutely every student in your school can shine. Might not be doing exactly what the other people are doing. It's not competitive, it's collaborative. It is a chance to experience things. It's a chance to try things. It's a chance to fail and learn from your failure. And my, my heart goes out to my fellow teaching colleagues, K-12, because most often it's a one-person show and we are asking them to do what in the professional world would be a dozen or more people. We're asking them to be an authority on lighting and sound and video and rigging and scenic construction and makeup and hair and, 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 oh, by the way, and then acting methods. Yeah plus handling the box office and everything else. And it is just more than one individual can happen. So when I talk to school boards, when I talk to parent groups, I say, please get your community involved. This can be and will be a source of pride for everybody in your city. Don't say we can't do it. Don't say we don't have enough money. The money will come. It might not be as fast as you want it to be, but there are a lot of inexpensive things we can do. You can spend your money wisely and get good return on your investment. That's what you want. You want a safe, healthy place where students can come, learn, share, the community can come and enjoy the fruits of their labor. I would second what uh, she said in that there's other industries that are parallel to ours, particularly the film industry. If you get somebody to sit down and watch all of the credits, to a major Hollywood production. You, know, you take a movie like Dune and it takes you 10 minutes to watch the credits on that. And there's thousands of people on that staff and they, every one of them brought home the bacon. <laughs> um, this, the skills that you get in a theater environment, whether they're acting or technical or management, all of them go into other industries, the theme park industry, the nightclub industry, the tour industry, the film industry, the television industry. There are thousands, thousands of jobs out there they need highly skilled people for. These are bring the bacon home jobs. So this background here, which I put back up, I obviously picked for a particular reason. This was one room out of the building that had 40 conference rooms that I did. It was a $250 million building. And if you look at this picture, it's obviously corporate. It's not high school theater. It has a video wall, has source for lighting, has audio, has all of the components that you use in a high school theater, but very much for a corporate. Now, something very interesting about this space, though, the primary users of this exact space are the people who I did high school theater with 20 years ago when I was in high school. And their only opportunity to learn stage lighting was in high school. It, and now they're using it every day because they're selling their technology services for this company. Uh, it, it's all building the, the foundation that you build at the high school level percolates 20 years later in ways you can't even envision 
And this space here is a theater. It gave me a living while I built it. And now it's giving my friends a living while they use it. And we, we were all in the exact same theater. Uh, Oak Park High School, Shelly Blay was our teacher. Jim Hammer was there for a while. Uh, there's a group of about 20 of us and at least eight of them are all in the same team using the space every day. It's actually really kind of fun at the high school reunion. I said, oh yeah, I built that. Uh, then they told me everything they liked and they didn't. That was kind of fun. Uh, one girl wanted to go out and go, oh yeah, I got a brochure on the building that we give our clients. I'm like, you know, I, I'm, I'm here to drink and party with my friends. I'm not here. To... <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. It, it's, if you have a quality program at the uh, K-12 level, you're teaching them foundational skills that they can carry through. I mentioned earlier, I got started with the union when I was a junior. I'm still there. I'm probably going to be at the arena on Saturday doing a loaded first show. Not many jobs you can do at age 17 that you're still wanting to do at age 39. Uh, I'm twice that, and I still want to do the jobs. <laughs> uh, Paul, uh, Eric, do you have anything you want to add to that? Uh, so I guess the thing I was going to say is you were asking about first steps for advocacy. Yeah. Um, if you're looking for people to give you information on your system, um, we've been a little derogatory towards contractors this talk, but any contractor that has worked in your space is probably going to have put their name somewhere yeah. on the equipment in the building. Um, so if you're just trying to figure out what do I have, because I don't know anything, um, you can generally, generally find that contractor's number and call them and they have documentation for sure. your space. So if you need to know at the very least what's in my space so I can start the process of figuring out how to make improvements, you can always look for that information and call those contractors up. Yeah. All right, here I'm going to give you a little bit of free consulting here because everybody likes it. This is something that I put in my specs and it's been really popular. At the top of every single AV rack, it's really popular to put a contractor plate that has their contact info. I go a step further. I, I cut it in half. The left half is my information as the designer. The, the right half is the contractor's information with a help desk number. If the client, if the school has a district help desk number, that goes on it as well. Then uh, it's really popular to have either Google Drive, SharePoint, some, some similar service. I put on, I use a label maker, or actually the contractor does because I make them do it, but they put the project number and a QR code. The QR code takes you to a folder on the district's website. And in that folder is your as built, your programming code, your uh, specs, your plans, all of the closeout documentation delivered by the uh, contractor, approved by the consultant, uh, delivered to the owner at the end of a project. And then it is maintained by the end user, but every time the contractor comes on to do an update, you, you throw a folder, you add a date, you put the updated code in, and now you have version control. And so 
okay, we had our contractor out. They updated the system. You've got the current code. You've got the previous code all right there. So if there's a problem, you can reload the previous version. Anybody can walk up who's authenticated into your network. They can scan it with their phone. They can, they can access it with a computer all right there uh, just from a sticker on the rack. And when you have teachers change, administrators change, your facility department come in, if you're all engaged to the same system and everybody's maintaining it, you'll never have to go chasing down the code for your light switch. Well, all right. Well, uh, let's wrap it up with this. Uh, this, I mean, this again, what I'm about to ask could be another uh, couple hours of a conversation, but I want you to try really hard uh, I have I have a master's of education. That's a that's a me beeping right now. That's me honking to my own horn. Uh, and one of the biggest things they taught us in this program was be succinct. Okay, so I'm going to ask a question where you have to be <laughs> succinct. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so <laughs> all right, because we could, we could all sit here and, and chit chat all day like I'm doing right now. Uh, I want you to think of one, and I'll give my first example that we kind of mentioned off uh, before we started recording. I want you to think of one common issue that is a thread that you see when you walk into a space that could be relatively easily uh, uh, fixed or or, or uh, repaired uh, when you walk in. Something that uh, an educator that is walking into their space for the first time might put their eye on, put their hand on uh, to see if they can't get it fixed rather quickly. I don't want, well, there's no fly loft, you know, uh, that one, although a problem, uh, that's not a quick fix. <laughs> although, you know, some people might just say, well, build an eight foot tall platform. I don't know. Uh, I'm kidding, Eric, please don't, uh, please don't hurt me. Uh, but my, my example is I've walked into uh, many spaces because my lighting or my background is lighting and I will help with lighting and I'll go immediately to a pipe on a catwalk or uh, on a fly system and the light itself is just hand tightened and it immediately can pop right off uh, sometimes with, sometimes without a safety cable. Uh, obviously one is more detrimental than the other, uh, but that is my quick fix. Something that a lot of uh, educators can just easily, just quickly go about and uh, check to see if they can fix that. And it's free uh, to do that. So uh, what is, who wants to go first? I'll throw it out there. Who who wants to kind of throw their first one out? Because I know some of you are trying to right now think, what's one oh, <laughs> that I want to talk I about? Got, I got hundreds. I'll, <laughs> yeah, I'll exactly. go first. I have no problem there. <laughs> okay. I, think, I think for us, it's because we go into so many schools as the service company. We're going in as a service call. And I mean, every school we go, well, not every school, but so many we go into, it's just the issue of broken connectors. Broken connectors on the raceways, broken connectors on the fixtures. These are energized. These are kids who are grabbing these connectors, especially stage pins where the top flap is off, doesn't exist. They're grabbing that connector. It's energized. They're plugging them in. The risk of shock and electrocution, it's nonstop. We see it, you know, just about every school that we go into. Okay, good. Wait, thank you for being succinct, Eric. <laughs> uh, does anybody want to go next? Change the light bulbs. Cha okay, changing bulbs and lamps yeah when you turn the work lights on it should be bright enough that you can safely walk across your stage so change the light bulbs okay good thank you dan Mine's we don't know we don't, oh, we don't have to do lighting i was just gonna say we don't all have to you know it can be 
non-lighting related. It can be don't use red paint. Anyway, I don't know. <laughs> Looks like blood. Christy, do you want to <laughs> do you want to go? Sure. I, I, my thing is to have a qualified. Going back to OSHA, which was where we started all this, to have a qualified competent authorized person in every venue who gives a damn right somebody who actually cares who will keep an eye on what's going on who will make sure that the students are doing safe things uh, who will make sure that the things that need to be locked up are locked up and it all comes down to having one individual in charge saying the buck stops with me i'm going to make this happen yeah great Paul? my item is uh with related to fire protection and that is actually treating all of the flammable objects on a stage with fire retardant. Uh, it's been in the code books for like 115 years now. Yeah. It's not new. It, it's not a new thing at all. Just go buy the Roscoe Flamex or the other brands and treat the wood and the fabrics and the plastics and the foams and the everything. It, there's no excuse for not buying it and it's required by law. Yep. Paul? You want to wrap us up with uh, yours? Sure. Better be good. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I would say you're talking about things that are, are quick and easy fix. Yep. So uh, if you have a counterweight rigging system, we talked a little bit earlier about spreader plates. If you have a counterweight rigging system and they are not already, um, you need to indicate the counterweights that are specifically to balance just the pipe itself. Typically, in uh, our specifications, and I, I think I can say this for everybody on the call, we'll note that those bricks need to be painted red or some other color to indicate this is the batten weight. It should always be on the arbor. Don't take these off. Don't take these off. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Great. Uh, does anybody have anything super important that they want to make sure that is put on this recording uh, uh, so that educators and teachers don't have questions or you know we're gonna we're gonna supply your emails not your phone numbers your emails uh to in in the in the description uh so that if they do want to get a hold of you and christy already kind of broke it down the north central you know south uh, uh geographies for you guys but if there's anything that you guys want for the record to be put on here uh i would love for you to to speak now otherwise i will uh wrap it up go ahead dan i see you yeah. Uh, so while we did talk about the difference between uh, consultants and integrators earlier, USITT does have the uh, rigging inspection program for integrators to come into your space and inspect, and they'll give you a grant. I think at one point it was $1,200. I don't know what it currently is, uh, but it should cover the cost of a inspection. Uh, at least before travel. Um, there is deadlines, all that stuff, but you know, whatever the next round is, throw your name in the hat, see if you can get uh, an inspector in. Uh, and if you have already have had one, it's been the same person for year after year after year, have a different set of eyeballs come in and inspect it. Uh, people, uh, Eric and I are going to give you two very similar, but slightly different reports because we're two different individuals. Uh, so get it inspected annually and uh, apply from the grant if you don't have the funds to do it. Yep. Yeah, I just want to jump in real quick and say the other thing that I frequently don't see is an emergency action plan. 
have a plan for when something happens in your venue to be able to get your audience who've never been in your venue before, who haven't had Alice training, who don't know where the safe places are to go, have a plan in case something happens to get them out safely. Know what you're going to do with your kids and your volunteers. And I think all four of us can do those for you. Yep. Yep. And they're not the same plan. A fire situation is different than a weather situation, different than a, a shooter situation. Uh, you need to have specific plans for specific circumstances. Uh, I don't yeah. talk about hurricane in Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a weather condition. That's why I generalize it. We have tornadoes <laughs> in some places and uh, hurricanes in others. Yeah. Don't, don't call Christy for your hurricane plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Well, great. Uh, thank you, everybody, for being here. Uh, thank you for your time. Uh, I know time is valuable, especially right now, as we're, uh, you know, getting caught up, if you will, in the entertainment industry from the last couple of years as it's thundering finally outside. Um, uh, thank you, Drought. Uh, but I want to thank you guys for being here, for giving up uh, part of your your day. Uh, Eric for hosting in the uh, Techland, the Techland Studios. Almost, <laughs> I almost threw a joking uh, uh, sponsor on there, but I won't do that. Uh, but uh, it, it was really nice to kind of get to know you guys and get to talk with you guys. Uh, Paul, thanks for being here, uh, taking time out of your day as well. I appreciate you. Thank you very much. My new